Good morning, everybody. Um, several days ago, I was talking with somebody about <clears throat> whether or not DC has a football stadium. And um, I was thinking about that conversation. Uh, as it, was, it came up because he was adamant that there was no football station, uh, football stadium in DC. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure a friend of mine told me that they watched the football match in DC. It's like, no, no football stadium. Went back and forth for a bit and then Dude said, um, look, we have a baseball stadium. We even have a soccer stadium. We don't have a football stadium. And I was like, oh, <laughs> soccer, football, light bulb. <laughs> when I said football, he was thinking American football. I was, you know, that game where the foot and the ball don't often connect as much as they should. Um, that game. And I was like, no, I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of what the rest of the world calls football. Um, most of the world calls football, and uh, the West sometimes calls soccer. Okay, so we were talking about the same thing, but using different terms, right? Um, so that there was confusion. We're going to talk about working today, working in wisdom. And so I want to start by defining the term so that we are all on the same page, so that we know we're talking about the same thing. When scripture talks about work, it generally refers to two different types of things. The first is some kind of creative, skillful, or even or, uh, uh, creative, skillful um, talent or effort that you use to um, do business, to work, to serve other people. And that, that particular type of work is beneficial to both the person who does the work and the community as well. That's one definition. The other one is just ordinary things that you do on a day-to-day -day basis, like you know, um, changing the diaper, grocery shopping, washing clothes, that kind of stuff. Just ordinary things to keep things going. For the purpose of this message, I want to kind of combine those two definitions and say that work is whatever effort, whatever creative, skillful, or ordinary effort you put towards human flourishing. And this includes your job and your career. It includes your task as a, as a person in a family, whether you are a son or a daughter, or you are a father or a mother. It, it includes things that you volunteer for. It includes whatever it is that you're going to do towards human flourishing. That is what I'm going to consider as work. And this is a good definition that helps us to perceive work as something that helps us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because within that realm, within that definition, we create relationships with people and that's basically what evangelism is all about. Um, we preach the gospel with our deeds and our words. We practice being like Jesus as daughters, as sons, as neighbors, as fathers and mothers and employers and employees, etc. So that's what work is. Now when you go to the beginning in the creation texts of Israel's neighbors all around them, work wasn't seen as a very good thing. It was often, you know, Kind of like even punishment. Work was created and imposed on man so that the gods would be able to relax a little bit and, you know, step back from having to run the universe all the time. That's why work was created. But in our scriptures, that's not what God says. God says that work is good. Work started before the fall, and then when there was the fall, um, there was a curse in the world, but work wasn't cursed. Work was never actually cursed. It was good, and it is still good. Things are more difficult, things are harder, but 
It was good. In fact, if there is no work, there is no way to be meaningfully human. Not really, not completely. So work, any creative, skillful, or even ordinary effort towards human flourishing is a part of God's good, ordered world. And so we need to learn how to work in a way that fits his good, ordered world. We need to work with wisdom. That's the question I hope to address. How do we work in wisdom? Let me pray for us. Every time we open your word, Father, we expect to hear from you. And we pray that the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing unto you. And that the posture of our hearts will be to receive what you have for us today. That we might worship you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, okay. Work in wisdom. How do you work in wisdom? First point. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it makes sense that the first point is that to work in wisdom is to work in the fear of the Lord. Psalm 112 actually gives us an example of what this looks like. So I want to refer you to a couple of verses from Psalm uh, 112. Verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So immediately we know that the psalmist is going to talk to us about somebody who has wisdom because they fear the Lord. And then verse 4, verse 5, and verse 9. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. And then verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. I'm going to mention two things from this passage that teaches us how to work in the fear of the Lord. A generous disposition and a heart of justice. Next week we're going to talk about generosity, but I want to touch on it a little bit today. Generosity means that when we work, we're not doing it to store up treasures for ourselves here on earth. No. Our motive for actually working is not the benefit that we accrue from work. Not, not, we're not going to be like the rich, young fool in Jesus' parable who was like, oh, I have made so much wealth. What am I going to do? And Jesus was like, don't you know that you're going to die tonight? We're not like that. No. We, we, we want to adequately sustain ourselves. That's a good thing. But we also want to have enough to give freely to other people. This is one of the ways that our work shows love to our neighbor. I mean, if anyone has material possessions amongst us and is in need, but we do not have pity on them, how can the love of God be in us? That's this question that John asks us. So generosity is one way of working in the fear of the Lord. Another thing is justice, conducting our affairs with justice. In one sense, this means giving everybody their due, treating them equitably, so whether their due is punishment, protection, or care. In another sense, it's simply being in right relationship with one another, treating others as we would be treated ourselves. So again, loving your neighbor as yourself. In the Bible, there are four categories of people that are usually <clears throat> associated uh, as people who need justice and who want other people to act 
and justice on their behalf. The poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. These categories of people usually are forgotten by our systems. These are the ones who cry out to God, and he says, I am the God of these ones who are usually the oppressed. So working wisely actually means attending to these little ones and others for whom justice is often out of reach. So generosity and justice, two ways to work in the fear of the Lord. Now, both of these are rooted in love for your neighbor. The challenge then is to see our work, what you do every single day, as, as rooted in love for neighbor, as a tool for us to love our neighbor. People stand behind the papers that you grade, behind the statistics that you work with, behind the policies that you're thinking about. They are affected by the books you write. They are affected by the way you work, by the way you serve, by the cases that you try. In a culture where it gets increasingly easy to ignore, to not see people, we need to be intentional about remembering who benefits or who should benefit from our work. We need to be intentional about being generous and about being just. So as you sit behind your desk reading through that policy or writing up that report, ask yourselves, are you aware of how your work affects your neighborhood or your neighbor? Do you know, for example, that there's a, there's a 7-Eleven on 8th Street where a number of homeless people gather. There's an encampment of homeless people um, under three, uh, six, 365, yes, that's what they call it, 365, Garfield Park, they're there as well. Do we see them? The countless people that we pass by on the streets who are asking us for money all the time, do we, even if we do not have money, treat them generously by recognizing their human dignity and talking with them? When you're with your kids and they point out to you that you've done something wrong, do you repent justly before the Lord and apologize to them? Do you honor your parents, your coworkers, and employers in a way that shows a generous spirit and exemplifies justice? Do you work in the fear of the Lord? So that's the first way to work with wisdom, to work in wisdom, the fear of the Lord. A second way is to work with diligence. If you want to work in wisdom, diligence has got to be part of the story. Now, there are several words in Hebrew that we associate with diligence, but the one that's often used in Proverbs means sharp-pointed, something that's sharp. So, for example, Proverbs 10, verse 4, it says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent, the sharp-pointed, makes rich. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> I think the idea is that you're bringing pointed, laser-like focus and attention to the work that you're doing, watching it with, with, with care to make sure nothing goes wrong, like, like, a, like somebody who's a watchman or a guard watching and protecting something, and enduring in the work if it's difficult to do. It might not be fun, but you know that this is important, so you keep doing, you persevere in it, and then you bring all your creative skills to bear on it. It's not just, you're not just trying to do it so that it's good enough, you're actually doing your very best. That's what that means, diligence. An example of diligence is Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. 
the Proverbs, says, uh, God points us to an animal, to an ant. Um, and he says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The ant doesn't know what procrastination is. She's just not wired that way. If there's work that needs to be done, she does it. That's what diligence is, not putting off what can be done immediately, if it should be done immediately. But diligence also means timeliness. The ant knows that summer and harvest are when she gathers her bread, when she finds food for herself. Because late autumn and winter are coming where she can't work. What happens after harvest? Most species of ant during, ants during the, the, the autumn will eat lots of food and they will, in order to get fat, they want large amounts of fat, put fat on their body. And then when the, when the cold air arrives, they seek out warm places and they hunker down with other ants in order to preserve body heat. And they kind of go dormant, basically. And they live off the fat in their body. They're basically resting. They're resting. So don't take the analogy too far, but working diligently requires that you also know when to not work, when to rest. We are called, we are not called to bring focused attention to our work 24-7. If God, who is omnipotent, who is the creator of everything, who doesn't get tired, decided to stop working after six days to rest and enjoy what he made, how much more of us who do get weary and tired? We live in a work-saturated city that encourages us to order our lives around a nine-to-five job. Nine-to-five. Some of you work 12, 16 hours a day, 70, 80 hours a week. You're encouraged to, to, to order your life around that. Where, and then your social life, out the door. Your family life, out the door. You know? And it's not only about your day job. Sometimes we, we work so hard and, and, and focus on our families and our kids that we forget to rest even from that kind of work. But God actually calls us to rest. Psalm 127, verse 1 to 2. I love all of scripture. I love some scriptures more than others. <laughs> Psalm 127, verse 1 to 2 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. I love to quote that verse when I want to sleep for five more minutes. Just remember, the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Same passage in the message. If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well nap. It's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Y'all, here's the point. Diligence means that sometimes you gotta chill. Relax, relax. 
Don't work like there's no tomorrow, full of anxiety and worry about where, where, about this or that, about how the work is going. Don't do that to yourself. Rest is an intentional reminder that you're not God. And some things just have to wait. They just have to wait. It's an intentional cultural, it's an intentional practice that moves against our culture and says, trust in the Lord. And when you trust in the Lord, when you commit your ways to Him, He's got you. Receive His rest. Now, this might mean creating stricter boundaries around your job, your day job, or telling kids that this month, mommy needs a day off, and next month will be daddy's turn. It might mean telling your boss, well, no. Teaching yourself to, to find your worth, not in your productivity, but in Jesus Christ. It might mean, and I know this might cause a shock to some of you, it might mean settling for a B instead of an A in graduate school. I heard that gasp. <laughs> it might mean that because diligence might call you to rest. And what if you're unemployed at the moment? Well, you still are called to be diligent because you are in the employ of God's work to love your neighbor as yourself. So as you look for a consistent job, whatever your hands find to do, do it well. And seek first the kingdom of God. Do not be anxious about all these other things. And all these other things God will provide for you. So working with wisdom means to work in the fear of the Lord and to be diligent. There's a baby back there saying hallelujah. Hallelujah. So uh, last point. To work with wisdom is to work for Christ, not for men. Now, I've said that work is the effort we put into something in order to promote human flourishing. That's true. When everything works well, as it's supposed to, our work yields good results, and we should rejoice in it. Of course, we should take pleasure in it. When you've poured yourself into other people, people that you are discipling, or your kids, or friends and coworkers that you're praying for, when you've poured yourself into them, and after a while you see change, you see them moving in the right direction, ah, you take pride in that work. When you work strenuously to represent a firm or an individual and you get a just verdict, oh, you should take pride in that. Thank God for that. When you tackle that ugly stain on the carpet, and it finally dissipates because of your efforts. Oh, rejoice in the Lord, because you have done good work. Your work, your labor has paid off. Rejoice in it. But sometimes, sometimes you do everything that you're supposed to do, and it just doesn't look good. It doesn't turn out the way you want it to. I mean, think about it. Sometimes you really work hard on that assignment, on that paper, and you still get an F, not because the paper was bad, but because you wouldn't succumb to your professor's advances, maybe. I think about if you are a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a teacher or a mentor of some sort and you have people in your life that you're leading. Sometimes you put a lot of work into those kids, into those people, and they don't appreciate it. They go wayward. They rebel against you and they step on your effort, effort and they dismiss you as a person. Or maybe you're the parent or maybe, maybe you're the kid or the follower, and your parents, your manager, your supervisor has legitimately scarred you. And to be in their presence, it's, you, don't, you don't like that because it's traumatic to you. In your labor as son, as daughter, as employee, 
You try to redeem that relationship. You do your best to honor them, but it just doesn't seem like things are changing. What do you do when you're so tired, when you want to give up? What's the use of investing in that kind of work? Well, scripture has a word of encouragement for us. And like most of the pleasures on this side of eternity, the pleasure that we get from work is temporary. And it actually points to something else, something much deeper. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 to 11 says, Whatever my eyes desired, this is Solomon speaking, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. So there is a pleasure there that he found in his toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I'd expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon found pleasure in the things that he was doing, but that pleasure was fleeting. It kind of reminds me like the, uh, of the high that I get when I'm part of a performance of some sort, whether it's a stage play or musical or whatever. Put in so much energy to memorize all those lines, to embody this character, work with other actors, to connect with them. It's so much fun. Great, creative, skillful work. And we come together. We put on this show. It's fantastic. Love the applause. Love the people enjoyed it. Grateful that they were there. And then if I'm not careful, I sink into depression because the joy kind of just fades away. It goes away. For every project that you do, and you say, wow, that was really good, it doesn't last that long. And the reason for that is because your pleasure in your work is only pointing to something else. It's not meant to satisfy you forever. So Colossians chapter 3, 22 to 24. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You see, we're working to promote human flourishing, <clears throat> but our boss is Jesus. He's the ultimate boss. People receive the benefits of our labor, but our reward comes from Jesus Christ himself. And here's what's really interesting when you're working for Jesus, working for God. You're not in charge of the results. You can plant, you can water, but God is the one that gives the increase. We're simply called to be faithful. That's it. Modern results-based standards of success actually render many of God's faithful prophets in Scripture as failures. I mean, think of Elijah. Mount Carmel, he preaches a message, and he says a word, and he performs a miracle. Fire comes down from heaven. There is no sense that there was repentance or revival in Israel. They remained in sin. <laughs> Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, three prophets that God told specifically, I'm going to send you to people that are not going to listen to a word you're going to say. Not one word. They preached and never saw the fruit of their labor in terms of repentance in the nation. Didn't see it. And yet God said, this is what I want you to do. Jeremiah at one point was so disappointed with God. He was like, you deceived me. Why did you deceive me? And I was deceived. But they were called to be faithful. They were, their success was based on the fact that they were faithful. So also with us. 
To work in wisdom means working for the Lord and not for man. So if you are faithfully doing a thankless job, your true pleasure is coming. Whether you see the results on this side of eternity or not, one day Jesus is going to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You have to hear those words. So work with wisdom. <clears throat> work in wisdom with the fear of the Lord, practicing generosity and justice, with diligence, which includes rest. Please remember that. Includes rest. And work for the Lord, not for men, recognizing that your true reward will come from Jesus Christ. Now, one final thought. Oftentimes, we find it hard to be motivated when we hate our jobs. Raise your hand if you felt the Monday scaries before. My hands are up for a reason, right? We sometimes view work as punishment. We, we, we work for the weekend. We just want to make it to the weekend. Oh, thank God, it's Friday. You know, because sometimes work isn't as pleasurable as we want it to be. Working with wisdom is one way to respond to that particular feeling. And there's this prayer that I want to share with you. I found it online from a particular page, and I cobbled and I edited, and, and I think this, I want to end with this because it's a prayer that I think I'm going to practice as well. That's what it says. Lord, Lord Jesus, I am struggling with doing my work day today. It seems like I am stuck in a dead-end job. The days drag by and I feel often bored and lack fulfillment. Open my eyes to see my work from your perspective as God-desiring and God-honoring worship. Bring to mind that I work before an audience of one and that the stewardship of my work matters even if I don't like it. Help me practice your presence as I work. Encourage my heart and mind, remembering Paul's words throughout my day to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. One day in the new heavens and new earth, our work will be filled with joy and delight in the sinless reality. Until then, help me see that a primary way I worship you, as well as love my neighbor, both near and far, is through the work that I do every day. May the Lord help us do that. Amen.